Support for this podcast comes from ClickIQ. ClickIQ is an automated job advertising platform that uses the latest AI and programmatic technology to manage, track and optimise the performance of your recruitment advertising in real time. Spend is focused, where it's needed the most, to reach both active and passive job seekers across Indeed, Google, Facebook and an extensive network of job boards. To find out more about ClickIQ, please visit www.clickiq.co.uk. That's www.clickiq.co.uk. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 171 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Long-term listeners to the show will know how critically important I feel employer branding is to talent acquisition. Unfortunately though, I still see lots of companies treating employer branding as a surface-level marketing exercise rather than giving it the strategic depth it really requires. To discuss what employers should be doing to build an effective employer brand in 2019, my guest this week is brand consultant Neil Harrison. Neil has over a decade's experience running major employer brand projects and has some great insights to share. Enjoy the interview. Hi Neil and welcome to the podcast. Hello Matt, nice to be here. Looking forward to this announcement. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yeah, I'll try my best. So I've been working in the field of employer branding for an awful lot of time. Uh, probably wasn't called employer branding when I first worked in what was then, I guess, recruitment advertising. Um, but really for the last 15 years, uh, I've spent a lot of time working with organisations in order to enhance their employer brand, in order to construct their employee value propositions, so I spent about a dozen years as head of employer brand at TMP up until a couple of years ago. At that point, I've set up myself up on my own and doing a whole range of work within this kind of space for a number of organisations direct, a lot of agencies. So seeing a huge amount of variety, lots of interesting organisations, lots of interesting challenges. So I think having worked in the space for, for, for so long, it probably gives you a great perspective on um, you know how employer brand has developed as a, as a, as a concept o- over time. You know, what is your perspective on on, on how it's developed and um, you know where, where it currently sits? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, it was absolutely brought home to me a couple of weeks ago when my son, who's at university, asked me to help with his dissertation on employer branding. Um, and I, I was kind of struck with two things at that point. On, on the positive side, that employer branding has effectively joined the mainstream uh, and is being seen as credible enough to be uh, taught at university. I thought was, that was tremendously positive. I was slightly concerned that um, if employer branding is seen as a, a slightly a- academic subject rather than something that's living and breathing than and organic. Uh, but no, for me, that's one of the massive changes is that 20 years ago, it certainly wouldn't have been a university subject. Now it's seen as something that is important uh, to um, university students with as they come into the workforce. Um, 
In terms of changes, I think there's been a, a massive sense of maturity about the marketplace. I think people generally, uh, practitioners with employer branding, are far more confident. I think if we're having this, ten, this conversation 10 years ago, there's a sense that uh, of, of talent acquisition and heads of employer branding perhaps been a bit a little apologetic, not being as confident as it might be. There's, there's, there's always that conversation as well about their relationship with their marketing colleagues. Is that a, 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 a marriage of equals or is a sense of talent acquisition? Perhaps we're in a, a poor relation to marketing. I, I think that's changed significantly. I think the nature and tone of those conversations have changed. Um, today, marketing often wants to be part of those conversations and quite rightly so. Uh, they're interested in, in adding their own kind of perspective, their own sense of value to that. Uh, and for me, the best talent acquisition professionals are, are absolutely welcoming of it. I think there's a lot to be learned in terms of that. Um, I think if there's any tiny bit of caution around there, it's the sense of, although an awful lot of people throughout an organisation, whether it's uh, marketing, whether it's PR, whether it's comms, whether it's indeed senior management, absolutely and quite rightly want to get involved, one, one area will be judged on it, and that's talent acquisition. So um, th there's a balance to be achieved there. But certainly I think it's a more confident um, profession. I think it's a profession that's emerged um, in terms of the, amount of the importance that's attached to it. And I think fairly obviously the, the, the talent acquisition marketplace we're in right now, there's an incredible amount of, of competition, huge amount of skill shortages. Um, any kind of conversation of this note will obviously take on board Brexit as well. Brexit is it will change the talent landscape, and for me, probably not for the best. I think we've already seen um, a lot of EU people who've been employed in the UK deciding that, well, is the UK really interested in them and perhaps going back to home countries? So I think in terms of uh, lots of um, uh, talent pools within the UK, you'll see additional pressures on those. So talent, uh, employer branding has it's definitely changed. It's definitely become, for me, more professional, um, a lot more pressures on them right now. And some of that's good in terms of the fact you've got a, a generally strong economy, global economy, certainly a UK economy. And that's creating a lot of pressure on the labour market um, and organisations that um, are imaginative, who take this kind of whole space seriously, who want to invest in it, are, are, are demonstrating really how, how good they are. I was doing some work very recently, um, a piece of research on candidate experience, and I interviewed a whole number of, of senior talent acquisition professionals across the space. And... Um, Google were one of those organisations, and if ever there was an employer brand that probably could be a tiny bit complacent, allowed to put their feet up a little bit, it's probably Google, and it's the organisation that absolutely dedicates um, time, focus, thinking, certainly headcount to this whole space in, in a way that I, 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 I think I've ever seen before. So it's something they realise that you know the sort of people that they're looking to recruit are massively hard to find yes they've got a super brand they've got a super reputation but so have a whole bunch of other people and they absolutely don't let complacency um into their thinking their approach for, for a second so for me it's a, it's a fascinating pro profession that's uh, that, that evolves all the time and i think that sense of movement it, it is is massively important and one of my um 
one of my kind of um, thought pieces right now is around this idea of the snapshot. Um, and if there was a sense of uh, employee branding being slightly tactical, it's around the view that we'll look at an organisation will often look at its employer brand every three, four, five years. So often they will go through a process of um, looking at their EVP, doing some really interesting research around a, a variety of talent pools, speaking with senior management, understanding where the organisation is going, what the strategic journey looks like over the next few years. They'll talk to internal talent pools to understand what's the employment reality. They'll often take that research outside the building and understand how the talent pools are looking to engage with, how they process this organisation. And then people like myself uh, will we'll try and craft an EVP on behalf of them. Often that EVP will exist for, as I said, three to five years. And that for me is a, a snapshot in time. And um, I'd equate it to the 10-year challenge that's going, going around in terms of memes right now. So a lot of people are putting photos of, of themselves up 10 years ago and comparing them with, with today. Things move so, so quickly. So if we think of, of any organisation, nearly in any marketplace, over the course of three to five years, that organisation's business, its products will change exponentially and that's not the only thing that's changing the markets in which they're operating is they will change significantly the competitor set will change economies economic sentiment will change as well so effectively if they're operating with an EVP or an employer brand that's based on a snapshot in time of three to five years previously for me they're not projecting where the organization is going they're not projecting today's reality of working there they're projecting a historical perspective so yeah lots of changes for me matt i think you've raised a lot of um really interesting points there and um you know certainly uh you know like you i've noticed that they you know the the, the, the employer brand conversations are, are, are mainstream and, and everyone's sort of talking about it um you know whether it's called employer brand or talent brand or whatever um you know whatever the label of the week um label of the week is um uh, uh, you know and obviously a big part of that you know you mentioned the um the dreaded brexit word um but i think you know we're seeing it across the globe there are economic and political factors you know at play in lots and lots of different countries that are um that, that are causing sort of squeezes on on certain areas of um talent um i think uh, also one of the interesting things you said there was about uh you know the danger of um employer brand um you know just being academic and not necessarily um practical and i think one of the the issues when employer brand gets discussed on platforms like these um it, it tends to, it can sometimes be very very theoretical um so could you perhaps sort of talk Walk us through a few, um, you know, practical examples of, um, you know, employer brand issues or employer brand in action um, that you've either seen or that, that you're kind of working on yourself. Yeah, and it, um, and you're right. I think there is a danger of it being, and you know, the, the university comparison when referencing my son was for me a, a slight concern um, because employer brands have to relate to organisations as they move forward, and obviously it has to relate to the. Um, working populations that um, are being recruited, are being retained, are being motivated by those organisations. And I think um, one of the, and I would say this because I spend a lot of time researching um, different talent pools, for me, one of the key areas where organisations either get employer branding very right or indeed get it very wrong is around research 
research is around understanding what's really going on underneath the bonnet of their organisation. So what is the employment reality? What's it genuinely like to work at this organisation? How do people interact uh, with each other? What are the core behaviours that run through the organisation? What's the culture like? And in the absence of really talking to people and spending time engaging with them, listening to them, I think often organisations can can rest on assumptions, on historical evidence there. I've just done a a really interesting piece of work for one of the uh, London's major councils. And for them, the EVP that's fallen out of that, that makes a whole bunch of sense. In addition to that, though, there's a whole lot of, absolutely for me, and I hope for them too, a lot of really interesting themes that's come out of that research, again, simply by talking to the the internal talent pools, the guys are looking ultimately to replicate through recruitment activities. For them, there's lots of concern around um, turnover, and they hadn't perhaps realised the implications of turnover to existing staff there. And what they were finding was because of turnover, people were were stretched, people new to the organisation weren't being welcomed into into this place they weren't being inducted as they might be so lots of very practical implications around that i think um and again research for me underpins everything about an employer brand because if you don't have those really solid foundations if you don't have that really real sense of authenticity coursing through an employer brand you're kind of making that up and i think people once particularly once they join an organisation, if they don't sense that authenticity, if they don't sense the organisation they thought they were going to join is the one they're actually walking into, then I think that's where you have massive issues around certainly culture, certainly morale, but ultimately premature departure. People don't think they've they've joined the organisation they've signed up to. And I think, uh, as I said, just going back to the point about research, there's some absolutely fundamentals that often fall out of that. I was doing a piece of um, creative testing on some new employer branding work last year for a major police force. And we conducted research amongst some external talent pools. And these are the guys who potentially could be um, police officers with this particular force. And lots of fascinating feedback around um, which groups like particular work, some very specific issues, likes, dislikes around that. But fundamentally, the key and the core message that came out of that research is they don't necessarily believe that that force is recruiting because they don't necessarily see them on the streets in the way they used to do. Because they don't see them on the streets, because they hear about public sector headcount cuts, there's a natural assumption that the police aren't recruiting at all. So nearly more important than than a particular message and a particular tagline was that sense of commitment, that sense of reassurance that that particular force is out there and communicating with them. Um, I've just done a, um, a, a really interesting piece of research for um, for a university as well, and um, organisation again similar piece of research again trying to understand a little bit about sense of morale, a little bit about the employment reality of working there, because if we're going to ultimately project that externally, we need to have understood from a, an internal po- point of view how that really works, and. 
Um, for me, one of the, the obvious things that came about that was two really interesting things. Leadership on one hand, were taking the organisation through some fundamental changes. Higher education is, is, is going through some massive changes, lots of kind of pressures. So lots of cultural change going through universities and this particular example uh, was no exception. The view was that because leadership thought they were communicating, thought they'd laid out the next two or three years, what they expected of people, how they thought changes were going to impact, what different behaviours, competences expected from people. We talked to people at those junior levels and they absolutely didn't get that coming through. I think for me, another fascinating point of view as well is it's an organisation that seemed nearly too polite, uh, going through real change, but the organisation was reluctant to call out poor behaviours. So people who, um, and, 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 and to a certain extent as well, there's a lack of recognition going through the organisation. And because it, the organisation didn't feel they wanted to uh, call out good behaviours, it didn't really differentiate those from the poor behaviours that are going on there. So um, those are the things you get to understand about an organisation and lots of similar similarities from one organisation and one industry sector from another, but some fundamental differentiations that we need to understand to a greater extent in order to populate that employer brand. So, and, 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 and that sense of really immersing yourself in an organisation I think it's where you get an employer brand which is different, which is ownable, which is something an organisation can take forward. Not take forward and, and, and set in stone, but organically review. And I think today we have so many different ways of, of testing and validating uh, an employer brand, an EVP which sits behind that, that to have this mechanical exercise where every three or four years we review it, for me, sound feels just wrong because if we're talking about organisations disrupting being nimble being fast moving then that EVP has to demonstrate similar kind of capabilities it has to be capable of that sense of evolution and movement uh, and that for me is is one of the, the big kind of changes whether it's little pulse surveys whether it's sitting down in terms of focus groups and um, and, and one of the most the richest areas of that research is 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 understanding how we can extract stories from people. So messages are great, EVPs, that's fantastic, but they tend to be carried to a far greater extent these days via stories. So if we're trying to talk about, let's say, enablement or empowerment or freedom, whatever it is, people will believe that to a far greater extent if I'm hearing people from my peer group talk about those um, those, uh, those values, those attributes in stories that I believe, in stories that I could potentially see myself being part of. And I think the ability of an organisation to tell those stories, to let their own people articulate those stories, um, gives you the opportunity of, of, of creating not only an authentic and believable EVP and employer brand, but one that's got warmth, that ultimately it gives you a, 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 an ability to create traction. I think, again, you again you raise lots of interesting points there but i just want to kind of pick up on the the measurement aspect of this um you know in, in my experience talking to um employer brand managers in in, in large organizations there, there seems to be sort of very little consensus on on how you measure 
um, an employer brand. And in fact, some people will say, well, you, you know, you, you can't measure it. Um, it. I think if we compare that to, uh, you know, branding in the, um, you know, in the in the kind of consumer marketing space, that, that couldn't be more different. So um, uh, Fiona, my wife, who's appeared on the podcast before, is a, is a, is a marketing director in the, in the drinks industry. Um, and I just look at the amount of data that she works with to, uh, you know, judge the health of the brands that she manages um, and also optimize and make changes to the, to the, to the brand strategy. It just seems worlds away um, from where we are with employer branding at the moment. Um, wh- why do you think that is? And, uh, you know, what's your view on employer brand measurement? It's a real coincidence, actually, because earlier on today, I was, um, I was going through a demo of a, P- uh, a social listening tool. Um, excellent tool, lots of adaptability, absolutely fascinating. Uh, had the opportunity, uh, the capacity to create vast tranches of data. Um, when I kind of probed the guy giving the demo a little bit more around um, around employment, around employer branding, uh, all of a sudden this, this tracks these reams of information contracted significantly. So he was dem- demonstrating a, a social listening tool where we were uh, sense brand sentiment was being discussed and really the amount of mentions from an employment point of view of this organization which we're demoing and it's a huge global organization was was tiny so i think going back to the story about your wife that the kind of tools and, and and the methodologies that she will use um I, I don't think we can necessarily apply because they've been they've been constructed with a with its particular audience or particular set of audiences in mind um and actually in, in a funny way i, I you talk about there being a, a sense of disparity around uh, in terms of owners and employer brand in terms of how they measure um, the success or otherwise an employer brand. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or an illogical thing because however we measure an employer brand in terms of its impact and success, it has to be relevant for that particular organization. For some organizations, cost per hire, time to hire, absolutely key drivers. Those are the really obvious ones. But if you apply that to all organizations, I think you're using a really blunt tool. Because let's imagine you're a, uh, you're a small setup, you're looking at data scientists, software engineers, you know they're incredibly hard to find, and you know they're probably not really cheap to find either. So actually, in a funny way, you don't mind waiting a bit longer, you don't mind paying a bit longer if you get that talent on board. So actually, those metrics become far less relevant. For me... Um, and having this conversation during a, a, a pitch just last week around exactly this subject, and for me, there's probably two two um, metrics which are emerging, which I think have got real kind of value. Whether they work for all organisations, possibly not. So one is around customer experience, uh, candidate experience, I beg your pardon. So to understand how a candidate feels through that whole process how it aligned the EVP is to that process as well so the messages they've heard externally how do they translate internally so I've been attracted into this process because I've heard that company X um, is offering this in terms of kind of my freedom there's my space to operate and my ability to learn and progress 
Does that feel as if that's being delivered during the candidate process? Do the hiring managers that I'm being exposed to, do they exude those kind of behaviours, those kind of competencies, kind of just the opposite? And the communications that I've received, again, what's the tone of voice? Does that feel as if it's all about freedom and progression or is it telling me something else? And one of the key factors there around is often around an ATS now some ATSs are absolutely value adding others are in, can feel incredibly clunky particularly if you're uh, looking for for, um, for younger millennial audiences <clears throat> then that um, their capacity to feel patience around clunky IT and technology is massively limited my daughter just graduated from university did an engineering degree so very technical very um very it literate and um she will be very um she will be very judgmental if she comes across organizations whose candidate process in the ats is anything but intuitive because that's not the environment that's not the world she's been brought up in so for me that that candidate experience is absolutely critical so for some organizations more the more far-sighted ones is a real sense of continuity and a continuum so the message that people are delivering to external candidate audiences by their attraction messaging has a shares a whole lot of dna dna with that candidate journey that candidate experience and when people join the organization what are they hearing during induction and onboarding is it something similar or do the organization they land into three months later whatever it is again does that feel like a whole different organization than the one they thought they've been recruited into so that for me is a, a, another key part of a metric we should apply how is how is candidate sentiment during that process the other one i think as well you can look at too is that sense of understanding of an organization and that's something we need to track so if we've got we've, we've embarked on an employer branding campaign how are candidates responding to that messaging and if we do that on let's say <clears throat> month one of the campaign or the new employer brand the new EP, how does candidate sentiment how does the awareness the levels of uh, of association with that brand that messaging how does it track over time so hopefully in four to six months time people are much more aware of the brand, of the message, of what it's trying to say than they were initially. I think those two areas there, because that's ultimately the audience, we, it's for me far more important. How are candidates feeling and how are they understanding the organisation they might or might not join? So, <clears throat> yes, there are lots of different ways to measure an employer brand. For me, it's about candidate experience and people's awareness and alignment, potential alignment within organisations' employer brand. Um, so, final question: uh, Where are we going next? What, what would, where would you expect to see? How would you expect to see employer brand sort of develop over the next, uh, you know, one one to three years? Well, one year takes us through Brexit, so um, <laughs> that's going to be. Who knows? Is, is going to be the, the key factor there for me? Where this industry is going, it's about I think greater levels of professionalism, so greater levels of mm, uh, metrics, greater levels of understanding um, how an employer brand is going um, understanding on a lot closer more intuitive basis 
how an employer brand and that EVP and that message platform is, is being considered, is being processed, not something to come to as an automatic every three or four years, but having a far more organic relationship, if, if you like. I think as well, one of my slight concerns about the process becoming more and more efficient, more and more streamlined, which on the surface of it sounds terribly positive, is the, is, is the ability of it to, to look at non-perfect candidates. So I wrote a blog about this a, a couple of weeks ago, and I think if we're not careful, and particularly, it's, A, it's the right thing to do, but B, there's a sense of, uh, of our ability to look laterally in a very crowded talent marketplace, is around trapped talent. So if, if my CV, for example, has, has a gap in it, if my CV... Um, reflects the fact that perhaps I joined the workforce immediately post-recession in 2010, 2012, and that uh, reflects in a marketplace with far less choice. If I, I, if I entered the workplace without much guidance, without much sense of role modelling, I've just ambled out of university, if you like, often my CV will be very much impacted by that. Older candidates, for example, whose who's, who's academic qualifications reflect more the time they left school or, or, or college than their actual uh, academic capability. People with gaps in their CVs, people have got caring duties. For me, if we're not careful, our ever slicker ATSs and, and application process will mean that those people stay as trapped talent and not talent that organisations out there can really take advantage of and, and can uh, join the labour force. So I think that's going to be a bigger part of it. I think employer branding will, it should grow and grow as a profession. It, uh, it, it would be lovely to see it stay as a, as a university subject and there's no reason it, it shouldn't be. And I think the fact you've got... Um, You've got Brett Minchington's World Employer Branding Day. I think that uh, that draws attention to it. That's increasing levels of, of, of profile about employer branding. It's increasing levels of professionalism around there as well. So having a, a focal point around there, I think, is, is, is massively useful. I think, um, to a certain extent, it's, it's, uh, it's incumbent on organisations because they're faced with massive skill shortages. Uh, and I think the more metrics we have around there, I'm just doing some fascinating pieces of research right now across um, Nordic area. And the amount of um, employer league tables, whether it's the universums of this world, the Randstats, uh, Hayes indexes, there are so many different ways of gauging different how employers are tracking, how they're performing, how they're perceived by candidate audiences. Um, the I can only see that employer branding is going to be something that people um, take more and more seriously um, and are take more and more seriously, invest more thought, more kind of uh, leadership into. Um, so yeah, I can for me, I can only ever, I can only really see positive aspects in terms of the way the profession is going to evolve as long as it does evolve as long as it keeps moving and that's my concern uh, as I started right at the beginning of this around a snapshot if we're not careful employer branding can be about a series of, of snapshots three or four years apart rather than an, an organic evolving more nimble process. Neil thank you very much for talking to me. <laughs> it's a pleasure thank you too. nice to talk to you Matt. My thanks to Neil Harrison. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. 
The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.